Good evening. <laughs> this past Wednesday evening, Hudson and I were pulling into our driveway and we looked out on the horizon and the sunset was breaking through the clouds. It was a beautiful sunset and all day long this past Wednesday, as you might recall, it was cloudy and rainy and dreary and then just before sunset, the clouds broke just for a few moments and then it got cloudy and rainy again after that. But we looked out over the sunset and the cloud formations were sort of unusual. The rays of sun were shining brightly upward, and Hudson said, Papa, that, that looks strange. Why does it look like that? I said, well, it's a beautiful sunset that God has made. Uh, that looks weird. I'm scared. <laughs> and that's the natural response to something that's new, that's out of the ordinary, that's not usual to our circumstances. The first response that we naturally have is, I don't know, I'm kind of scared. I might be a little afraid. Not to a sunset, but it all started with two weeks ago, the Paris attacks. ISIS, and crisis in Syria. And for me, many months ago, it started with a picture of a little boy. I showed you this picture, a picture of a little boy on the beach shore, and I wept with many people when I saw that picture. God made that little boy. His parents were trying to escape Syria. They were trying to get out. They were trying to escape, and like many boats, it overturned. He was swept in the waves, and that little boy died, he and his brother we see pictures like that, and, and it pulls us out of our comfort zone. It's not something that we'd expect. It's out of the ordinary. It brings grief to our souls, at least it should. And then we hear about the attacks in Paris, and we know what's going on with this ISIS, or a little piece of what's going on with this the Islamic State, and their attacks against against many different kinds of people, but they've particularly pitted themselves against the Western world and against Christianity, and they're beheading people, and you know the news. And then we hear about refugees maybe coming to the United States. They're flooding northward into Europe, landing in this little island off the coast of Greece and heading northward, trying to find freedom by the thousands and thousands and thousands. And if you have scrolled through Facebook or YouTube, you see pictures and videos of various massive groups of refugees flooding into countries like Germany. And I've heard a lot of fear coming from Christians. Just be honest with you. Maybe from some of you. Maybe I feel it in my own soul. It seems to be the natural response. Politically speaking, is it likely that if refugees come to the United States, there might be some of them who are criminally minded, who may be terrorists? Yeah, it it could be. Mm -hmm. Would it be hard for them to assimilate into society, to find housing and jobs and to provide for their families? Would it be difficult for our country and difficult for them to make that work? Yes, definitely. 
Is it natural to be afraid of the unknown, of what might happen if refugees come to our country? Yes, that's definitely natural, certainly. But what's God's response? What's God's word on how Christians are to treat refugees? I've heard a lot of people explain or try to explain in various forms and in various articles and various news reports how our country should respond. On both sides of the issue, there's these, there are these extreme opinions, really. And, and many people are following political pundits, not pastors, on this issue, whether they call themselves Christians or not. But we don't take our cues from Fox News, CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC. But for our, our life and faith and practice, where do we take our cues? <laughs> God's Word. Right? Can they get an amen on that? We don't take our guide for life and faith and practice from Fox News or CNN or CBS or ABC or NBC or certainly social media. We take it from God's Word. We take our cues from God's Word. And God has a lot to say about refugees. And the real important question is, yes, it would be very difficult for them and for us, for refugees to come to our country. A couple thousand, here's one fact, just a couple thousand over the last 16 months have come to the U.S. They're not coming in thousands and thousands, but that's another issue. Certainly fear is natural. Not politically, but biblically. Our aim tonight is not to try to decipher what our government should do. Sad as it might seem, we really don't have a lot of say in that, do we? Except election time. And even that's just a little say, which we're grateful for. But biblically, what is... God's response towards refugees. How does he want his people to respond? The biggest question, I think, is not if they come, but when they come. Some will come. When they come, how should we respond? Wherever they are, if they come to the United States, our country of origin, or if they're in Greece, or if they're in Hungary, or if they're in Spain, or France, or Italy, or Germany, how should God's people respond to refugees? That's the most important question, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah? How should we respond to this whole issue? And so we're going to go to God's Word. I want you to see... Five key principles, five, let's say, guideposts on a journey. The biblical word for refugee is often sojourner, sojourner, refugee, foreigner, somebody that's outside their native homeland and they're looking for refuge. Biblically, many people were seeking to go to where God's people were to find refuge under the shadow of his wings, (laughs) That idea is all throughout Scripture. Modern definition of refugee is any person that's seeking refuge, asylum, uh, from religious persecution, from governmental oppression, from uh, from, uh, military oppression. They're they're seeking refuge from that, and so that makes them a refugee. They're outside their, their native homeland. So I want you to turn first to Deuteronomy. If Some of you are note-takers, you're going to be busy tonight because I have a lot of different passages for us to quickly look at. We're going to do systematic theology tonight, okay? So I'm not going to preach an intrinsically expository message. I'm going to look at a number of passages that I have done faithful exegesis on, uh, as, as faithful as I can, according to 
the Spirit's guidance as I seek to faithfully interpret the Scriptures, but a number of passages, and we are developing a biblical theology for how Christians, how God's people should respond to refugees. How should we respond? Not, not with fear. Tip my hand, but that's obvious. Not with fear, not by feelings. That sounds familiar from this morning. But with faith. And what does that look like for God's people? So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. The first key guidepost along the trail, we're going to journey maybe with this idea of, of refugees, of sojourners. We're going to journey with this idea. And the first guidepost is we show our love for God by loving what He loves. That's point number one. We show our love for God by loving what He loves. And God instilled in His people, Leviticus and Exodus, Deuteronomy, this, this idea, you can't miss it. God's heart for the sojourner. God's heart for the refugee. God's love for them. So look in Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, verses 17 through 19. Verses 17 through 19. For the Lord your God is the God of gods. And the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. <laughs> He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien. That's the outsider from his native homeland. He's come in, a refugee, sojourner, for the alien by giving him food and clothing. That's God's response right there. Do you see that? He executes justice for the orphan and the widow. He shows his love for the alien, the sojourner, by giving him food and clothing. And so God's will should be demonstrated through his people. We show our love for God, our, uh, that we are in covenant with God by loving what he loves. And so he tells the people of Israel, show your love for the alien, for the refugee, the sojourner. Don't miss this. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You are refugees. You are fleeing religious and governmental oppression, persecution. God sent you out of the land of Egypt to the promised land. Don't, don't forget that. And so when somebody comes into your nation, God would say, his nation, and you are my people, God would say. You're to love what I love. You're to care. You're to feed. You're to clothe the sojourner. A refugee. You turn to Exodus chapter 22 or Exodus chapter 23 or Leviticus 19, you'll see the same idea. I want us to turn to Leviticus 19. There's a, there's a beautiful passage, again, about God's heart, what God loves. Leviticus 19, you'll see there, verses 33, 34. Leviticus 19, 33, 34 says this. When a stranger, that means an outsider, a foreigner, resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and, and you shall love him as yourself. Wow. Israelites totally missed that. They were horrible at that. And so often are Christians today, to be frank. You treat people better here at church than you might your unsaved neighbor. You know, your family members were to treat people with love, 
respect. People made in the image of God. You shall love him as yourself for you. There's the same idea. For you, remember, you were aliens. You were sojourners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Don't miss this. If we're going to hear God's response about refugees, we should show our love for God by loving what he loves. Loving what he loves. Remember, there was a group of refugee children I came to a church, I was on staff at a church called Dallas Bible Church. There were about 30, 35 refugee children. They had come from Africa, their families, and they came to our WANA program. There was a young couple, the wife was a teacher in the school district where all these children were located, and she'd bring two or three church vans every Wednesday night of these children. And, and some of them were rabble-rousers, just like church kids, you know. There was one little boy, he was really rambunctious, he was about Hudson's age, about six years old. His name was Usmail. And so I'd sit down with Usmail and, and hear his verses every Wednesday night. Okay, Usmail, sit down, stay, 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 sit, stay, 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 don't jump. Okay, and Usmail was very smart. He would, with cold, no practice, that was obvious, cold, get about five or six verses done every Wednesday night. <laughs> with no practice. And so he had a blank sheet, you know, where you put his name in. He wanted me to write his name in his book for him. And so I said, well, could you spell that last name for me? So he said, it's U-S-M-A-I-L. I thought nothing of it at the time. And there was an there was a older gentleman standing, looking over my shoulder who had been working with these kids for a long time. And he said, you see what's there, don't you? Here's the little story. His mom and his dad came over to the United States. He was just about ready to be delivered. His mom was full term in her pregnancy. And the first sign she saw on the side of the truck said U.S. Mail. And she said, that sounds like a good name. I'll name my son that, Usmail. It's a good American name. Usmail is full of energy. I, I pray that what he learned in Awana, I pray he's still going to that church. I, I pray and I think about his smiling face and his energetic attitude and think about Usmail, U.S. Mail, Usmail. Got to love what God loves. God loves those kids. There were some people who might have looked at what we were doing, looked at, I don't know, you know, maybe they're going to get in trouble. And may, that neighborhood down there, it was rough. It was riddled with some crime. It wasn't as safe as the neighborhood that the church was located in. And maybe those kids are part of homes like that. Sure they were. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. They're absolutely part of broken homes, messed up families. Hmm. But we show our love for God by loving what he loves. Caring for the refugee. Number two, <laughs> we express God's compassion when we give refuge to refugees. Turn to Ruth chapter 2, from Deuteronomy, Leviticus, now to Ruth. Ruth chapter 2. As you might recall, Ruth was from the country of Moab, the Moabites. They were not godly people. They worship false gods. They, they, and she had this stigma attached to her. It was almost like she had a scarlet letter emblazoned across her forehead or across her chest. She was a Moabitess. 
And she knew it. And she, in fact, she had even a worse name for herself. What she considered herself was a nocria. She says that to Boaz in Ruth chapter 2. Let's turn there. Ruth chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. I'll get there eventually. <laughs> Ruth chapter 2, verse 8 begins like this. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now she had sojourned from the land of Moab, her native country. And she had come with Naomi, and she has come to confess she will now follow Yahweh, follow the one true God. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but, but stay here with my maids. He's protecting her. Let your eyes be on the field which, reap, which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me? Since I'm a foreigner. That's this word, nokria. It was almost like saying, I, I, you would consider me kind of like a harlot, the lowest of the lowest rung, a Moabitess. Why are you doing this? And Boaz replied to her, conveying the heart of God that he knew very well because Boaz was a righteous man, righteous because he was displaying the righteousness of God and following God's way. He knew God's law, Deuteronomy, knew Leviticus, knew Exodus, and he knew God's heart for the foreigner. And he said this, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full. He's praying for her. Do you see this? May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full. That's the inflection in the Hebrew. Nevertheless, this is a prayer from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. And this idea of coming under God's wings for refuge is God's heart for the refugee. God offers, God offers people, people he made, to come under his wings. That idea is conveyed in Psalm 57 and Psalm 61 and book of Jeremiah. Then she said, I have... I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. I'm not like them. I'm a foreigner. I'm a Moabitess. I'm a a Nokria. I don't fit in on this. We express God's compassion when we give refuge to refugees. I want you to turn to Isaiah 16, verses 4 and 5. There's an interesting connection here. Because Boaz is a picture of Christ. And one day, Christ will come and bring justice and righteousness to those, all those seeking refuge under him. God, in Isaiah, is telling Judah to provide refuge for the Moabites. You'll see this. For Moab, because Assyria was constantly attacking Moab. And here's what it says in Isaiah 16, verse 4. It says this. Let the outcasts of Moab stay with you. 
And if you were a self-righteous Jew, you would say, what? This is the heart of God. Be a hiding place to them from the destroyer. For the extortioner has come to an end. Destruction has ceased. Oppressors have completely disappeared from the land. And here's, we see the fulfillment of the Davidic Davidic king, Jesus Christ. A throne will even be established in loving kindness. A judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be prompt in righteousness. It's talking about Jesus Christ. And so, We express God's compassion when we give refuge to refugees, and Boaz is doing that for Ruth and Judah, the southern kingdom. The nation of Judah is supposed to be doing that for Moab. God's commanding them to do it. Now, some of you would say, well, I've had some people tell me this. That's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament law. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Aha. Jesus upped the ante, okay? Didn't he? Jesus up the ante. Yes, yes, we don't, we don't follow the, the, the dietary laws, the sundry laws, but God's heart is put on display in the law. And what we just looked at in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Ruth and now in Isaiah, you're seeing a demonstration of God's heart for the refugee, God's heart for the sojourner, and that just doesn't disappear. That is supposed to be carried through in his people, and we now in the new covenant are to live out the righteous reign of Christ today too. We know he will come and rule and reign, but today we are to demonstrate Christ's love, God's compassion for the sojourner, for the refugee. So I want us to turn to the, uh, to the gospel of Matthew. The gospel of Matthew. We express God's compassion when we give refuge to refugees. And now we are most like our God, don't miss this, when we love people who hate God. We are most like our God when we love people who hate God and those who hate us. Yeah. And just so you know that I, I'm not going liberal here, here's a direct quote from the very strongly conservative Baptistic pastor, Dr. John MacArthur. Everybody knows he's conservative, and he said this, Christians are most like God when they show love to people who hate God. We are most like our God when we love people who hate God and us, because that's just what Jesus Christ did for us. So in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and following, listen carefully. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. See, Jesus is upping the ante here. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father, like him. Your life looks like your heavenly father, You love your enemies, you pray for those who persecute you, you're doing that so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This isn't a way to obtain righteousness, this is a way to demonstrate the righteousness of God. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's easy. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? It's easy to love my son, my brother. 
my wife, uh, my, my mom and dad. It's easy to love people right here. I think so, right? It's easy to love each other. But what about your enemies? What about ISIS? No, it's not easy. From the mouth of Jesus, he says, therefore you are to be perfect. Yes, your heavenly Father is perfect. To look like our Father, to live a life demonstrating God is another way of saying you glorify God, which is the sole, exist, the sole reason for our existence. The chief end of man is to glorify God, to put him on display, to reveal him, to make him known. And we are most like our God when we love the people who hate God and who hate us. That's when we're showing the genuine love of Jesus Christ. That's terribly contrary to what we're sold the bill of goods all around the newspaper and social media. We're told life is about us, protection, safety. That's what's necessary. Keep your reputation. Keep your turf safe here. Don't go somewhere where it's dangerous. You know, people told Hudson Taylor and Adoniram Judson and Amy Carmichael, certainly, William Carey, certainly, William Borden, they all told them, why are you doing that? It's going to be dangerous. You could die over there. You're going to pick up a disease or somebody's going to kill you or you're going to, go on a, you're going to get sick on the boat and die over. And that certainly wouldn't be the will of God. And history proves who really had the voice of wisdom there, who really had the voice of faith. It was Amy Carmichael and William Carey and Adniram Judson and Hudson Taylor, not those who said, oh, just keep things safe. We go to people who perhaps hate God and us and we show them the love of God. Turn to Romans 5, Romans chapter 5. I want you to see how this is demonstrated in Christ. Romans 5. You're familiar with verse 8 because most of us probably memorize it as young children. For God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, but there's something else here that you and I often miss. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now, don't miss verse 10. For if while we were, what's the word? Enemies. We were God's enemies. We were pitted against him. Deserving his wrath. Deserving just judgment. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so, God is calling us to show Christ's life now. By willingly laying down our lives. Self-sacrificial love. For people who perhaps even hate God and hate us. We are most like our God when we love people who hate God and us. And number four, we demonstrate the righteousness we've received in Christ by showing the righteous reign of Christ in our lives. It's kind of a long one. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. From Matthew 5, now to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. Verses 35 through 40. 
for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king, Jesus, will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. One day there will be judgment, and one day there will be perfect justice. One day Jesus will execute perfect righteousness over all the earth, and he will do a great demarcation between those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. Here, it's not explaining a way to obtain righteousness, but we demonstrate the righteousness we've received in Christ by showing the righteous reign of Christ in our lives today. Jesus fed the hungry. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness so that through his death and resurrection, we could be made righteous in him. And that includes when we show love to the people who hate God, and to our brothers. Here in this immediate context, brothers means Israel, the Jews. Even the least of them, you did it to me. But we know God's heart goes far beyond that because we're all here. Right, Mark? Abrahamic covenant, God made a covenant with Abraham that through him and his seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God's heart for the refugee should be God's people's, our heart for the refugee. I want you to listen to one final, this is sort of harsh for me, it's hard for me to grasp all of this, I do this imperfectly. Turn to Mark chapter 8. We find true life when we lay down our lives to live out Christ's life. It's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about ease, it's not about entertaining ourselves, it's not about stacking up bills, it's not stacking up, uh, it's not about stacking up a 401k or having a large house or expanding our portfolio or collecting cards, it's, it's about laying down our lives and when we lay down our lives is when we find true life, what life is meant to be, life in Christ. So in Mark, the Gospel of Mark Chapter 8, Jesus is responding to Peter's interest in what man would consider important rather than what God would consider important. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be beaten, and they're going to kill me. And Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. He begins to say, no, wait, wait that, that, that doesn't fit the plan here. That's not what we want. The people are not going to receive that message well. And Jesus says this, you're setting your mind on man's interest, not God's interest. And here's what it means to follow me. Look at verse 34 of 
Mark chapter 8, and he summoned the crowd with his disciples. Everybody needs to hear this now. All right, Peter? (laughs) And he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, that means follow in his steps. That means journey to live out the life of Christ. Here's what you need to do. You must deny yourself. You must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. We have our ambitions, our desires, what we want to get out of life, what we're told will satisfy, what we're told, what we're told will fulfill. And when we lay down our lives, our ideas, our desires, our ambitions for God's mission and His way, that's when we actually find what life is all about. That's when we live life as it's meant to be lived. It's Christ's life. That was a harsh message. Peter didn't want to hear that. Maybe some of you are going, I, I don't know if I really want to hear that. That means I might have to take risk and it might be unsafe. It, it's hard for me to hear it. We lay down, we find true life when we lay down our lives to live out Christ's life. This morning I showed that, that video of what Samaritan's Purse is doing and Americans and British folks and people from other countries are going there to serve, to show the message of mercy of Jesus Christ on the, the shores of this island off the coast of Greece to help people, these refugees come. Hudson was downstairs in the venue during that t- portion of the surface and he saw the video. Stephanie was sitting next to him and Stephanie told me that he's, He had tears well up in his eyes, and he said, Mama, we need to go get boats, and those people need to come over here so that we can help them. I want to go and and help those crying kids. But somehow, with all the noise going on about what our government should or shouldn't do, I fear, I fear, I grieve, it's a better word, I grieve in my soul that we as Christ followers are denying the call that Christ gave us, that life is not about this life. It's about living out his life. And that means denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him all the way to the cross. That's what he was going to require of his disciples. Later on in in Mark and in the Gospel of Matthew, it becomes really clear also that we cannot expect a safer, easier life than our teacher. It's also in John chapter 15. You and I cannot expect an easier, safer life than our teacher, who is Jesus. If they persecuted him, they might persecute us. They will, Jesus says. But that's our call, to follow him. (laughs) There's a call. There's a cost to discipleship. But you find what life is all about. I heard a story about a, from a man who's working over there helping refugees. I told a friend of, a friend of ours this, and he said, I was passing out blankets today and a man reached up to take the blanket and he said, why, why are you giving this blanket to me? 
This is a true story. Why are you giving this blanket to me? And the man said, this man from America said, I, I'm giving it to you in the name of Jesus because Jesus loves you. And the man turned to him and said, uh, who is this Jesus? Because ever since I've come here, this Jesus has given me clothes. This Jesus has given me food. This Jesus is taking care of me. I want to know him. Can you tell me about this Jesus? Let that sink in for a little bit there. That's what life is really all about. We can't expect a safer, easier life than our teacher, but an abundant life in Christ. That's what life is really all about. And so it's necessary for us to take a, the faith step, not necessarily the safe step. That's today. The faith step. Jesus never called his disciples to do the safe thing. I understand our government as an institution ordained by God has one purpose according to the book of Romans, the letter to to the Romans, that they are to protect and provide peace and safety for the people in that society. I don't, don't disagree with that. But as followers of Jesus Christ, as God's people, how do we respond? We take the faith step, not the safe step. We don't hate. We love the people who hate us. It might be risky. It might be dangerous. We can't expect any different. Jesus didn't promise any different, did he? Jesus promised that they would persecute us, that they might reject us. But some will hear And some like that man will say, I want to know, tell me about this Jesus. Tell me about this Jesus. I want you to see some pictures here that I've collected of these people. In fact, actually, back to the main slide, that group of people you see there are refugees traveling from Pakistan. But this is a picture of Syria. That's why these people are running. They have nowhere else to go. Their their storefronts, their houses are bombed out. They have nothing left. To the next one. And so they're leaving. Here's, Here's a young dad with his baby all bloodied up there, trying to get out. Here's another picture of a a dad carrying his daughter out of the the rubble, out of the bombing. Here's another picture, dad with a young daughter on the seashore, getting ready to try to escape Syria. Some more pictures. Here's the little girl. Samaritan's Purse missionaries meeting people on the shores of Greece to help them. To show them the message of mercy of Christ. Doing the risky thing. Doing the the faith thing, not the safe thing. Here's another picture. A little girl here. Some stories coming out of little girls and little boys. They're they're living in woodlands. They're covered in, in, in just maybe a blanket. No tent. No real shelter. And horrible things are happening to these little kids. They're, they're being abused. Older boys doing things to little girls. All sorts of things going on. I think we have a couple more pictures here. Another little girl. And then some 
just getting rescued on the shores of Greece. There's a little boy. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are most like our God when we love the people who hate God. And we even hate us. This doesn't mean we throw wisdom to the wind and but people said William Carey was doing that. <laughs> this doesn't mean that we disregard safety for our family. I'm not a pacifist. But people told Hudson Taylor he was crazy. History proves who was right. If 200 or 2,000 or 20,000 or 200,000 refugees come to the U.S., our response as God's people should demonstrate the heart of God toward those people. John and Chris Shepard are there right at the gateway, Lady Liberty. They took a picture quoting the inscription on that statue that our founding fathers knew was important. We send out John and Chris to New York City this summer to work with refugees, people from West Africa and other places, working with Yemenis or Saudis or West Africans of various nations, and they're frankly excited about people coming, more people, because there's a, there's a, a document that their agency, Global Gates, has written that describes how Far more often, people, through a dissonance in their lives, are drawn to the gospel. They, they change their religion. They, they're looking, they're searching, and through a severe dissonance in their lives, like a crisis, like traveling to another nation, like becoming a refugee, and through that dissonance in their lives, God draws them to Christ. And so perhaps in all of this, it's actually in God's sovereign design, it is. But this massive migration is something for God's people to be mobilized for rather than being weaponized for. And we are mobilized to minister to refugees. Becky told me this past week that I didn't know this. Grand Rapids is number four in the entire nation for refugee ministry and population resettlement, our government calls it. And frankly, I have very little confidence in our government doing a good job with that. But I have great confidence in God working through his people to do wonderful things in resettling refugees. What if God's people stepped up and said, we believe the gospel, really, we believe this, that we are most like our God when we love the people who hate God, who may hate us, or may just be foreigners, who may just be like a Ruth, a Moabite, and we're going to love them. We're going to drive a 15-passenger van to the shores of the Atlantic Ocean and pick up a family and take them back. I'd have to call the mayor of New York to work that out, I think. But What if it was people who actually believed the Bible and the gospel who also demonstrated the righteous reign of Christ through their lives right now instead of people who are only interested in social justice and liberation theology who disregard the Bible doing that? See what I'm saying? We need to show them Jesus. So I want to give you four key applications really quick. One is you can donate to Samaritan's Purse. 
showed that video this morning. If you go into SamaritansPurse.org, you can check out how they are helping people on the shorelines. They're going into various nations, border, bordering nations, and helping these people reassimilate, settle, sharing the gospel along the way, providing medical care, food and clothing. Another one is we received this letter here. We received a letter from George and Deb Collins, our longtime missionaries with ABWE and their GAP partners, and they sent us this note. If you want to give to George and Deb Collins or the ministry, people on their team are right in the thick of this, showing Jesus to these people. Their ministry number I'll provide for you, and I can, we can put it up later. It's 0820013. So if you want to get to George and Deb Collins, here's their gap ministry number. There's their count number, 0820013. So 08213. Here's what they sent us, and we posted it on Facebook from one of their partners, one of their team members. It says, Another tragedy has brought countries in our region to the forefront of the news. News articles, TV commentary, and Facebook discussions show anger and hostility towards entire races of people. The action of a handful of men could reap incredible repercussions for millions of refugees. While people in the West exchange heated discussions on what the proper response should be, our team of doctors, dentists, pharmacists, and volunteers just spent two days ministering to those same refugees here in our city. Many of the volunteers took time to ask these individuals their heartbreaking story, stories of loss greater than anything we will ever experience. Loss of homes and belongings, loss of loved ones, leaving behind family members with no idea if they are still alive. Multiple families sharing tiny apartments here, pooling what money they can to make ends meet. Some sought treatment for children, suddenly wetting themselves again, a sign of post-traumatic stress. After taking the time to listen and serve, providers had many opportunities to pray. Patients left with tear-filled eyes, thanking our volunteers for showing them respect and love. As believers, we do not look to our political system to bring change. It's time we, Christians in America, believe that. We don't look to our political system to bring change. And I don't care who becomes president a year and a half from now, so many months, they won't be able to fix all the problems. We do not trust in our military might to protect us. We obediently serve a God who can transform any sinner into a new creation. We seek out opportunities to give a drink of water, to share our cloak, to visit the suffering. Don't miss this. Transformation begins with a heartbreaking story, finding redemption in our Savior. Do you agree with that tonight? Transformation begins with a heartbreaking story, finding redemption in our Savior. And so we could be involved in Samaritan's Purse. This is kind of honest, open talk here. We can help George and Deb Collins in their ministry, and we can also prepare if they come. I want to hear your ideas afterwards. I want to hear your thoughts on this. What could we do as a local church? What could we do to welcome a family or two into North Park Baptist Church to say, we'll give you some food, we'll give you some clothing, we'll find you a place to live, we'll help you learn English so you can get a job. And through showing Christ's love, maybe a tragic story will become our story of redemption in Jesus Christ too. You want to pray for that? Yes? Some of you are going, oh, that sounds kind of crazy to me. You want to pray for that? Oh, it's kind of weak. Boy, 
I didn't do a good job in biblical theology tonight then. This is, this is God's command. It really is. What if we go? What could we see God do as we love the people who maybe even hate God, who don't know God, who are lost, who are searching, who need a blanket and say, tell me, I want to know this Jesus. What could we see God do? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we want to live out your life. Show who you are to the people around us. And frankly, we're scared. Our sin nature, our, our own human frailty, holds us back, brings doubt and discouragement. We hear so many voices all around us in our country, angry voices, unbiblical voices, political angles. It's overwhelming and confusing. And so, oh God, we pray that you'd root our lives in the anchor of your word tonight and for the rest of our lives. When we go back to your word for the answers, when we listen to what you have to say rather than what everybody else is talking about and chattering on social media, we trust you and your word for the guide in life and faith and practice. Your word is hard to hear sometimes, Lord. We admit that. It's convicting. We confess that. But we're saying tonight, as your people, we want you to go to work with a scalpel like a surgeon working in our hearts to change our prejudices, to erase them even, so that we have your heart for the people of this world, that we live out gospel-saturated lives, Lives with genuine love and compassion and mercy and kindness and truth. Shown in in action, spoken in word. Sharing grace, sharing truth. And taking the faith step. Not necessarily the safe step. To show refugees Jesus, your son. In his name we pray. Amen.